This is Pastor Daryl Buttram, and you are listening to the Big Thoughts from a Small Church Pastor podcast. We're so glad to have you with us today. Hope that you'll take the next half hour or so and sit back and listen to this week's Big Thought. We're talking about what happens when our desperation meets up with God's expectation. So sit back, relax, and listen to what I believe the Lord wants to speak to your heart. This morning, I want to take you to a passage of scripture in the book of Luke. And I want to talk to you this morning about desperation. Not just desperation, but what happens when our desperation ends up matching the expectation of God. So we're going to be in the book of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 15. And as we are looking at this passage, it's a very familiar passage of scripture. We're going to be talking about the prodigal son. And it's something we've all heard before. The prodigal son is one of those parables that even non-Christians, by and large, have heard about before. So it's something that is very familiar to us, something that we're we're very much aware of, and we can probably all tell pretty much most of the story, if not all of the story. But just before we jump into the Word, I want to kind of put it within the context in which Christ is giving it. His context in scripture makes a world of difference. So Jesus in this chapter, in chapter 15, and then going on even into chapter 16, Jesus is telling kingdom parables. So he's letting people know what the kingdom of God is like, not just what it's going to be like, what it is like. And so he has just told two parables. He's talked about the the parable of the 99 found sheep or kept sheep and the one lost sheep. He's talked about the woman who lost the one coin of her dowry and had to find it. He's talked in both of those accounts of how that when that which was lost was found, there was a party in heaven that the kingdom of God celebrated because of one that was lost being found. He then goes into the parable of the prodigal son which will be followed up by the the parable of a steward who is unprofitable, but is shrewd and he is wise. And that steward will go and because he owes the person who gave him his stewardship, he owes him his money back and he hasn't received his money back. He goes and starts cutting everyone's debts just to be able to get something to give back to the one who gave him his stewardship And so he does that, and he gives it back to the one who it belonged to, and he actually ends up impressing the one who had given him his stewardship. Now, I bring up those four parables, one of which we're going to be talking about specifically this morning, because they all have some commonalities. The three that we've just mentioned are all dealing with some aspect of, of a stewardship. Now, a stewardship is where you have someone who has great wealth or great property or great assets, whatever, and they turn it over to someone else to take care of it for them and turn a profit. Now, in the case of the shepherd who had the 99 and the 1, we usually look at that and we think about it in the context of Jesus. Since Jesus was the good shepherd, 
and Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, we look at it in that context and we usually just think of that particular parable talking about Jesus. But the thing you have to remember is a shepherd was a steward. The shepherds usually did not have enough wealth to own their own flock. So they would come in and they would attach themselves to someone who was rich to live off of their, their wealth, if you will, while they were taking care of the flock for that person. There was no shepherd in that day and time that owned 100 sheep. So it was someone else's that was given over to that shepherd to watch and to take care of. So with the one being lost, the shepherd is upset because he knows he has to be able to find that one, bring it back into the hundred. Otherwise, the owner is going to take it out of his salary. So there is this aspect of stewardship. Now, we also see that in regards to Jesus, because in the book of John, Jesus will tell us that the father has given Jesus his sheep. That the Father has given him his disciples. And we saw last week at the end of the Gospel of John that Jesus now turns to Peter and tells Peter, if you really love me unconditionally, you're going to feed my sheep and the little lambs too. So there is this transition of stewardship from one to another. So when we look at the parable of the kingdom being like 99 sheep that are in the pen and one being lost and the shepherd going out to find it is in the context of a desperate shepherd who is trying to take care of his stewardship and please the one who owns the sheep. I want you to keep that in mind. The second parable there, we talk about the woman who has received her dowry. And in some aspects, a part of that dowry would be kept aside for her so that at the death of her husband in the future, she would have at least some amount of money that she could live off of if something happened to her husband. At the same time, though, because it is a part of her dowry and because she is not yet married, it now carries a much heavier your weight. She has to be able to show everyone that she has all of the coins. So while she may still have nine of the coins, she's lost one. She has to be able to show that she has it and she's desperate to find that one coin so that she can have everything that she's supposed to have. Jesus also said that's the way the kingdom of God is. So in each of these cases, in each of these situations, you find that what has been given over to the individual does not necessarily belong to them, at least not in the sense that we would normally think. It is a part of a much bigger stewardship, is a part of a much bigger responsibility. And then, of course, in the one that follows the parable of the prodigal son, you have the, the steward who is supposed to pay back the owner and he doesn't have the money. Here's what he realizes. He realizes in his desperation, he realizes I can't come up with enough money to give him everything right now. But if I go to everybody else that I loan the money to and I have them cut their debts and give me what they can give me, two things are going to happen. Number one, I'll have something to give back to the one who entrusted me with the stewardship, but also I will be able to have relationships with the people whose debt I've cut so that when the owner fires me, I can go and these folks to take care of me, maybe even help me find another job. 
He was very shrewd. He was very wise. And as he brought in what he could gather together and brought it to the owner, the owner was amazed at the wisdom that he had shown, and he didn't fire him. Because now he sees this guy is actually good for business. So all of these different things, all these different aspects, these kingdom parables that we just mentioned, they all carry one significant factor. And that is that the individual in all three of those who is having to either find what is lost or is having to get back what is missing, that one individual always ends up being desperate. When you're desperate, you'll do whatever it takes to get what you need, right? Some of you remember what it was like in the 70s when the economy was was falling apart and some of us i remember as a kid having to wait in line in a public place with hundreds of people in front of me just so that we could get our box of commodities from the government to be able to supplement our food supply because we didn't have enough money to make the ends meet we were so desperate we'd stand there in line for hours on end and you had all these moms because the dads all worked back then remember the dads all work, so the moms are in line, and they're all holding their kids close by. Standing in line on one of those occasions, and I look over, and my brother is missing. Now, that was not uncommon for my brother. My brother would disappear anywhere we would go. But I look, and my brother is not there. I'm not sure what's going on. We're still standing in line. We have probably still 50 people in front of us until we can get up to where we need to be. And I look up ahead, and I see the back of my brother's head. So I go over there, and I grab my brother by the shoulder, and I don't even look at him. I'm so upset. I reach down, and I grab his hand. He's probably three or four years old, so I'm only about seven, eight years old this point in time and so I grab him by the hand and I start dragging him back toward my mom in the line and he's hollering and he's he's just crying he's just making all this noise and I get back to the line and there beside my mother is my brother and I turn around to see this lady running from up in the line back to where we are to get her son that I had just abducted I remember the desperation of those days. I remember what it was like when my parents would have to wait in line to get gas from the gas pumps in the late 70s or 1980, 79, 1980, that particular time period. I remember what it was like hearing when they would have the gas wars and one of the gas stations would drop their price like four or five cents a gallon and everybody would line up to try to get that gas because everybody was desperate we know what it's like to be desperate when it comes to the material stuff of life but do we know what it's like to be desperate when it comes to the spiritual stuff of life have we forgotten what it's like to be desperate for the spiritual stuff of life in each of the parables that i've referenced and in the one that we're about to dive into there's something that I saw that was absolutely incredible. And remember, it's talking about the kingdom of God. So whose kingdom is it? God's. It's God's kingdom. Kingdom of God. You're, you're doing good. You're doing so good. So it's the kingdom of God. It's his kingdom. But in the kingdom, there are stewards. I want you to look at the person beside you and say, you're a steward. All right. 
You've been entrusted with something. It's in your care. Now, here's what happens in each of these parables. There is the expectation of the one who owns or the one who provides. But then there is also the desperation of the one who is lacking. In every single one, there are these two things, an expectation and a desperation. And this is what I feel that the Holy Spirit told me. So if you want to get out a pen and a paper and just jot this down, if you can commit it to memory, that's fine. But this is what I feel the Holy Spirit pointed out to me as I was reading through these, these passages, including what we're about to dive into. Are you ready? The kingdom of heaven touches down. Where our desperation meets God's expectation. Let me say that again. The kingdom of heaven touches down where our desperation meets God's expectation. Can you say it a third time? God's kingdom touches down where our desperation meets God's expectation. You see, many times when we're talking about prayer and when we're talking about faith and we're talking about all of the power of God and the miracles and the signs and the wonders, we oftentimes put the expectation on ourselves because that's what faith should do is help us to have a greater expectation. But what these particular parables point out is there is the expectation of the owner, the expectation of the provider, and in that expectation, they are looking for something to happen when we get to the point where we are desperate. So the shepherd was desperate, and so he left the 99 to find the one. The, the wife-to-be, the fiancé, was desperate, so she left the nine coins to go and to find the one. The steward... He was desperate because he didn't have the funds to repay the owner. And so he went and did whatever was needed to come up with something to get back to the owner because he was desperate. And the owner got what he expected, which was not just getting some of his money back, but was getting an employee who was going to be a shrewd businessman. In each of those accounts... Because Jesus said this is the way the kingdom of God is, we see there's an owner who has expectation or a provider who has expectation, but then there's a steward that has desperation. And when the desperation and the expectation meet, that's where the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, touches down. Are you still with me? That's just the introduction, folks. We haven't even gotten into the message yet. And we still have to pray for people at the end. So you know what that means, right? It means grab the seatbelt and click it in. Because here we go. Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 20. Before we get into verse 17, just to kind of remind you of what happened. There is a, a wealthy father who has two sons. His eldest son is, is great. He stays home. He does all the work that needs to be done. He oversees everything that is supposed to be happening in the family's stuff and on the family's lands. And, and it's great. He's a good son. The second son is still a good son initially, but he comes to his father and says, you know what? Instead of waiting for you to die and then for me to get my inheritance, why don't you give it to me now so I can enjoy it while I'm young? Right? And so his father relents. He gives him his portion. Now, typically in that time, 
the firstborn son would get a double portion. The secondborn son would only get one portion. So what the father would have done is he would have looked at everything that he owned and he would have divided it up three ways, leaving two parts of it for his eldest and then giving one part of it to his youngest. So he gives to his youngest that one part. And his youngest goes and he spends it all on riotous living. He's going and he's partying and he's drinking and he's hanging out with the wrong crowd and he's sleeping with loose women. And, and he has just destroyed himself in the process. He has no more money left. And it comes to the point where he can no longer stay where he was living. He can't survive. He finds a farmer who has pigs. And he goes and starts slopping the pigs, and he's so hungry, and he's becoming so desperate at this point in time that he looks at the stuff in the pig's trough, and that slop suddenly begins to look appeasing to him, and he wants to eat the slop because he's become so hungry. Verse 17, Luke chapter 15. But when he, the prodigal, came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and here I perish with hunger. That perish, I'm wasting away, I'm dying because I'm hungry. There he is, and he says, this isn't the way it was ever supposed to be. I, I, I'm so foolish to have done what I've done, and here I am in the middle of my mess, and I'm slopping the pigs, and I'm so hungry I want to eat the slop myself. And even the hired servants, even the minimum wage workers on my father's farm do better than I am. I can't believe I gave up being an heir to my father's estate, a third of my father's estate, that I exchanged it to get to this point, when even if I was just a minimum wage earner on my father's farm, I'd be doing so much better. I heard a statistic the other day that was talking about the average person in America who is living below the poverty level. And as I was listening to the statistic, they said if you take that average below the poverty level individual, so you're talking, what, fifteen dollars to $20,000 uh, is, is that average area of poverty. And so you take that fifteen dollars to $20,000 poverty wage earner and you compare them to the average wage earners around the world. Are you still with me? You compare them to the average age er, wage earners around the world, and that fifteen to twenty thousand dollar below the poverty level person in America is in the top ninety nine percent of wage earners in the world. You understand that you and I are among the top one percent of wage earners in the world. 
We don't think about that. We just think about how hard it is where we are. We always look to see how everything else is, and yet we wonder why it is that we have a problem on our border to the south with so many people wanting to come to America, if, even if they have to come in illegally. I was talking with my dad a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about um, busloads of kids that were coming in, and in some cases, they get to the bus and they find that all those kids have been killed because there's such desperation to just be able to get what our most impoverished people have access to. So remember that this next week as your stimulus check comes out. Here you have this young man who used to have it all in Luke chapter, seven, chapter 15, and in verse 17, he comes to his senses and he realizes, even if, if I were just a minimum wage earner on my father's farm, I'd be doing so much better than I am where I am. I'm dying because I'm hungry. You go on and it says, this is his decision. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Literally, he'll, he's saying, Dad, I know that I've sinned against God, but I also recognize that I've sinned against you. By taking what I wanted, when I wanted it, how I wanted it, and doing my own will with it, I sinned not only against God, which is really, really bad, but I, I also sinned against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Any of you ever feel that way sometimes? You know, I'm just going to be completely and totally honest. Uh, how many days are there in a week? Guess how many days of the week that I feel unworthy to be a son of God? Seven. So this son, who's now desperate, he says, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, I know I've sinned against you. I know I messed up. I know I missed the mark. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So just make me like one of your hired servants. Just hire me to do whatever the worst job that you is and pay me the least wage that you possibly can. I just, I need to be able to get by and so while I don't deserve to be your son will you please allow me to be your servant and he arose and he came to his father you see when you're desperate you're willing to humble yourself no matter what when you're desperate you're willing to go whatever distance no matter what and remember he's hungry he's in a distant land he's having to go by foot because he can't afford to travel and yet in that emaciated state, he makes his way back to his father. But when he was still a great way off, off in the distance, his father saw him and had compassion. When he's off in the distance, his father sees him. Now here's where the expectation comes in. You've got the desperation of the prodigal, but you've got the expectation of the father. He's a great ways off. He's been gone for some time. He is wasting away, and yet the father is still looking to recognize him even off in the distance. 
He's looking and he recognizes his boy, even though his boy should have been unrecognizable, which tells us the father was expecting that at some point in time his boy was coming home. And look what he did. The father saw him and had compassion, and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. The other day we had uh, one of the young men that was at the, the Bible study stayed over a little while and and Ian was over there and he called Ian to him because Ian had had a, a meeting for the lead now thing that the state office is doing. And, and then uh, Ian came in and, and Wally looks at Ian and says, Ian, come here, come sit by me. Ian comes and sits down beside him. Wally just leans over and gives him this great big hug. And I looked at Ian and I said, Ian, how come you'll let him hug you, but you won't let me hug you? And Ian said, because Wally is stronger than you. getting to be sermon father today. This father saw his son coming home and he was so moved with compassion. He ran over, he embraces him, he, he kisses him, he, he draws him in close. The father had been expecting, looking forward to this moment. He wanted to be with his son. And so he falls and he kisses him and, and it's just this incredible encounter where the son who was desperate just to be able to be a servant now finds his father still loves him even though he doesn't deserve to be a son anymore. You remember the rest of the story. The father then tells everyone, go and get a robe, go and get a ring, go and kill the fat calf. They end up having a great big celebration. And this is what I want you to see in all of this that is going on. The son is hungry. The son is dying of hunger. He comes just wanting to be a servant. And the father reinstates him as a son and immediately goes and has a barbecue. The son was wanting to feed himself off of the slop. But now he's eating prime rib. Right? All because his expectation or the expectation of his father was met by his own desperation. And in that moment, the celebration was released. Just like when the lost sheep was found and the shepherd brought it back, all of his comrades, they began to celebrate because the expectation and the desperation came together and created a celebration. When the woman found her lost coin, she called all of her friends, perhaps her bridesmaids, and they all came together and they celebrated because what was lost had been found. The desperation and the expectation produced the celebration. Now, in the middle of the celebration, the oldest son comes in. And here is... The problem, the oldest son had access to all the cattle, had for years. It was all his. And when his father dies, he gets it all. But until then, the father says, it's already yours. You can do with it whatever you want. And he comes, he says, you haven't even given me a, a goat for me to celebrate with my friends. Why? Because the oldest son had never had a desperation that met up with the father's expectation. To create a celebration. If the oldest son. Who could have done it at any point in time. If he would have just 
taken the opportunity to go out and to look at the flocks and the cattle and said, you know what? I, I see that. I'm going to go and I'm going to beg dad. Dad, can I please have, have this cow so I can have my own barbecue and invite a few friends over and we're going to celebrate just the fact that you are such a great dad. And the oldest son had never done that because he was never desperate enough. But now he's jealous of what's going on with his younger brother. And the father says, don't you get it? Your brother who was dead is now alive. The greatest thing that I want you to take to heart is that the kingdom of God, when it touches down in your life because your desperation meets up with God's expectation, and creates a celebration, the thing that I want you to take to heart is it begins to bring back life to every area of your life. It may not be overnight. It may take some time. But it begins to bring life back to every aspect of who you are because you're desperate enough to get into the presence of the Father. And the Father is expecting you to come. So many times, I believe God expects to do incredible things, but because we are not desperate enough, he goes looking for someone else who is. That's why there are revivals taking place in third world countries, because they're so desperate, because the well ran dry. They're so desperate because the crops have failed. They're so desperate because there's so many problems, so many things going on. They're so desperate, they begin to seek the face of God. And God is just always looking for a people that are desperate enough. Second Chronicles 7.14 is not a magic incantation. It is a promise. God said, I'm listening to your prayers. My eyes are open to your plight. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's an act of desperation. Seek my face, that's an act of desperation. And turn from their wicked ways, that's an act of desperation. And if they do, God said, I'll show up and we'll have a celebration. I'll forgive their sins. I'll hear them from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. I'll heal their land because my eyes are on you and my ears are listening. God tunes into our desperation. We've got to tune into his expectation. The father was looking. The son was desperate. And when the expectation and the desperation ended up coming together in that holy hug, a celebration was released like something no one else had seen before. And so this is the challenge. Are you willing to find a way to get desperate? Maybe it's desperate for healing. Maybe it's desperate for a new job. Maybe it's desperate for a family situation. Maybe it's desperate for your own sanctification. Maybe it's desperate to hear the voice of God and know the plan of God for your life. Maybe it's desperation to know what the next step is that you take in the course of life. Whatever that desperation is, are you willing to be desperate enough to find out what God expects and then seek after his face with everything that you can to get to where he is. Because when your desperation and his expectation meet up, the celebration begins because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, touches
Will you stand this morning? Father, in this place this morning, there are different ones that are at different places in their walk, different places in their lives, having different situations, different circumstances, different problems. But yet, God, no matter what it is that we've got that we're dealing with, the answer remains the same. The God who created the universe is just expecting for us to come like that prodigal son and to come to the Father and to allow you, Lord God, to remind us that we are your son to remind us that we are your daughter, to remind us that we are your beloved, to remind us, Lord, that you have a plan for us, to remind us, Lord, that you want a celebration to spring forth. So, Lord, whatever it is that we need from you, let us desperately seek your face. Let us put everything that we are into seeking your face so that, Lord God, as we desperately come to you, you can expect that you release a celebration into this world around us as your kingdom touches the earth.